Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. We're glad that you're here today. You ready to get into the message? I'm so tired of announcements. Let's get into the message. We are on the last week of what has ended up being an eight-week sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit called Not a Coconut. I can't believe that you stuck around. I think you guys, you guys just came because you're excited for the end of the series. I don't know what it is, but we're glad that you're here. And uh, so we did not intend for this to be a two-month series when we started. I planned to, you know, put some of them together in a sermon, but it just worked out. It felt like, for the most part, each fruit needed time. It needed to explain the hope and the point and the power behind each fruit of the Spirit. And so I hope this has helped you. I hope that these messages have been uh, helpful and encouraging, but also a little challenging, right? Uh, just that we need a little bit of challenge when we come in to hear the Word of God. It should challenge us. And so um, remember the series title, if you didn't know, it's called Not a Coconut because there's a song from my childhood um, that would explain the fruit of the Spirit is not... You know, it's the last week of the series. Maybe we should just play the song, right? Maybe, maybe it's time to play the song. Uh, Grace, let's go ahead. If you've got that ready, let's play it. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit, because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. All right, you can cut it there. Um, you got the idea. <laughs> so what that song does is it goes through every random fruit that you could think of. And I promise you, I did not know when I turned that song on to play it and to hear it for the first time in a long time, I did not realize it was going to say coconut first. That was from God. That was not me. Um, God and I both know that the coconut is the worst tasting smelling fruit. So put that first. I'm sorry. If <laughs> okay. All right. All right. It's the last time you have to hear that from me. Okay. Today we are in concluding with the last, but one of the most important fruit of the spirit with self Control. Self-control. Today's message is called Control Issues. Is anyone willing to admit they have some control issues? I would say, wow, a lot of hands, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people willing to be honest. I have, sometimes I have remote control issues, like I have to be in charge of the remote, and I'm thankful that football season is almost here, and I don't want to brag, but... Um, when it comes to watching football, I am very good at fast-forwarding between each 30 seconds between plays and just watching play. Fast-forward, play, fast-forward, play. I'm so good at that, but I have to have the remote in order to do that. I can't do it otherwise. Shanna does things well, but fast-forwarding through play is not her strength. So remote control issues. Maybe you have to be the one uh, in the driver's seat. You have to be the one driving the car. You can't someone else driving. No, no, no. It freaks you out. It panics you. You have to be the one driving. Maybe you have to be the one that's in charge of the meeting, right? There's a meeting and you're sitting there. What's the agenda? What's happening? This is boring me. I'm distracted. I have to be in charge. Uh, control issues. Do you have, you might have struggles controlling uh, a car or having to have the remote, but do you have control over yourself? 
Can you have control over yourself? Are you able to tell yourself, no, I don't need this? Uh, uh, to say no to an indulgence, to a temptation, no to having to have more. Control issues. And I, I want to start by looking at the importance of the quality of self-control. We're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's read the verses 3 and 4. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So this is just the setup, but it's important to remember that it is the power of God. It is the divine power of the Lord that gives us all things concerning life and godliness. All things. We can receive his promises and become partakers of God's kingdom. And now because, because of God's power, because he's granted us godliness and life, here's what we should do. Look, read what happens next. Verses 5 through 7. For this very reason... Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So because you know that the power of God has granted you life, you should add to your faith these qualities, these virtues. We see the virtues and the qualities, steadfastness. We, we see knowledge. We see godliness, brotherly affection, love. And we see in that list, among important things like love, we see self-control. Self-control is a virtue that should be added to your faith. Peter explains why next. Read the next verse, verse 8. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, last week we said the fruit of your life. We said the good things that come from your life, the outcomes of your life, they have to be sustained by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We are not good on our own. We have to rely on on the Holy Spirit. So Peter is saying you need self-control to be increasing in your life if you want to have an effective and fruitful life. And then Peter says this is what will happen if you lack self-control. Read the next verse, verse 9. If you lack self-control, he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter says, if you're lacking in self-control, you are nearsighted. How many in here are nearsighted? I'm raising my hand. I'm nearsighted. If, if you need a reminder, nearsighted means you can see near to you, but you cannot see far away from you. If you're farsighted, you can see far away from you. You can't read the book in front of you, right? 
I am nearsighted. If my contacts were not in right now, I wouldn't be able to see your faces. I'd be like, Shanna, where's Shanna? Is that Shanna? That's not Shanna. Where's Shanna? Shanna? I can't see. It's blurry. My vision further away from me, I can't see. Peter is saying if you lack self-control, you lack vision. You can't see how your decisions here in the present will affect your future. Our first point today is a lack of self-control is a lack of vision. It's a lack of vision. When you can't control yourself, you're saying the present gratification is more important than the future consequences. You're saying, I'm so caught up in what I could have right now that I don't care about what it could damage, what it could cause later on. You think, I I can release my anger on someone and I'll feel better right now, or I can choose to restrain myself and maintain a good relationship with that person and work through our differences. I I can give in to temptation right now, it feels good in the moment, or I can choose to say no, strengthen my self esteem and have a good conscience because I chose the higher path. I can give into eating that, you know, that second or third piece of pie that I, I didn't really need, or I can choose to say no and, and, and defend and strengthen my willpower and be content with what I have. Does this affect anyone else? Or is it just me? I just want to make sure. It's really quiet in here. It got really quiet when I started talking about self-control. It's fine when I was talking about the Hope Center, but when I talked about self-control, it got really quiet. Okay. Self-control is asking the question, how does my decision right here, in this moment, affect my future. Self-control has vision. At the end of this message, we're going to look more at Second Peter, but I want to turn to our main passage, our main story. We're going to look at a man who struggled with self-control. We're going to look at the story of King Solomon in 1 Kings. Remember, uh, Solomon, he, he became the king after his father, David, He took over very young in his life. We're going to kind of linger around this story. We're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 3. Let's read these first three verses together. It says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. How Solomon behaves right here at the beginning of his reign will foreshadow the issues that he will have throughout his life. Solomon makes an alliance with Pharaoh. Marriage was a common political strategy in this time. But, but know this, political sense does not always equal spiritual sense. Political sense does not always equal spiritual sense. I think that's beyond just what happened that, in those days, right? Can we take that for today? Is that relevant for today? I'll get back to my notes and stop meddling, but just think on that point. Then it goes on to say that Solomon says he built his house. He built the house of the Lord. If you remember when King David was alive, it was in his heart to build that house for the Lord. He went to Nathan, the prophet, 
And eventually Nathan said, no, you're not supposed to do that. You have too much bloodshed on your hands. Your son will do that. So Solomon building his house, building the house of the Lord. It says that Solomon loved the Lord. It says Solomon walked in the statutes of David, his father. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible says. But then it says, then it uses the word only. Say only. 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 Meaning in this context, except, but. It says Solomon loved the Lord. He followed David, but he would sacrifice and make offerings at the high place. And you might think, well, what's, what's wrong with that? Weren't the people of Israel supposed to give offerings and make sacrifices to their God? Yes. But once the house of the Lord was built, you were not supposed to make those offerings anywhere else except for the house of the Lord. That's why it's in there saying Solomon loved the Lord, but he was offering sacrifices at the high place. This is the theme that we see in Scripture, that Solomon loved the Lord, but we don't do that, right? We don't love God, but spend four or five, six hours on our phone each day. We don't love the Lord, but, you know, we, we watch things that sear our conscience and looking at things we shouldn't. We don't love God, but this, but that. This is the beginning. This is how it starts for Solomon as he gradually slips away from the presence and honoring of God. We see this inconsistency, this struggle as king. And let let me show you what happens next. next, uh, In the next verse, verse 5 through 9, it says this, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept from him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people." So God appears in a dream to Solomon. He says, ask whatever you want. Whatever you want, I will give you. And Solomon, with humility, earnestly asked, God, can you give me the wisdom to know how to lead these people? He says, I'm just a kid. I don't know how to go out and come in as a king should. I don't know anything about that. Will you give me the wisdom to do that? And I'd encourage you, if you are ever in this position with God, I would say asking for wisdom is not a bad way to go. God is happy with this, with this request from Solomon. It says not only does God give him that wisdom, he gives him the riches and the fame that he didn't ask for. And so Solomon moves forward and says God is pleased with him. And so allow, allow me to simulate the story further into the story of Solomon. We know that, that very soon on he has a 
a dilemma he has to address. He has two ladies, one who has a, a child and the other whose their child has passed away. And he has to use wisdom on how to determine who, what child belonged to which mom. And then there are stories later on that Solomon begins building the temple, building his house, building these things. And then God appears to Solomon a second time. I want to show you the second time. In 1 Kings chapter 9, we're going to read these eight verses. And I know it's a lot of reading today, but the word of God is the best thing I can give you. So I'm sorry, not sorry. But here we go. Verse 1. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I've consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I've set before you, but you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I've given them. And the house that I've consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. God says to Solomon, if, if you will walk before me, if you do what I command you, you keep my rules, then I will establish your throne forever. The first time that God appears to Solomon, it marks the beginning of his reign as king, the beginning of his greatness. But this second appearance right here, it actually marks the end of his rise. Because Solomon from this point on, and even before, chooses to not obey God. This is very simple, but secondly, second point this morning, a lack of self-control is a lack of obedience. It's a lack of honoring God with your life. God says to do this, and you do the other thing. You don't have a healthy fear and respect for God in your life. Simple as that. God has seen the small areas where Solomon has been compromising his faith. We didn't read this today, but if you look into the scripture, he's begun to treat his workers harshly, poorly, high demands on them. And God is giving him in this moment a warning. It goes from a blessing to a warning because of the lack of obedience that he is seeing. And this begins a shift one person's disobedience will cause a shift in the land of Israel. Let me ask you something this morning. Is there areas in your life where you have been compromising? Well, I, I do this. I do this act for God to, to counteract, to balance out the wrong that I've done. No, God says not to do that. That's disobedience. That's dishonoring. We know that God is omnipresent, right? He, he's everywhere. In the moments when you do the right thing and the moments when you do the wrong thing, God is there. 
And thank God that even when he sees us do wrong and we struggle, when we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but it takes a healthy respect and reverence of God. When you lack obedience, you're lacking control. Let me show you the last passage of King Solomon's story. 1 Kings 11, the first six verses. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, I'm going to try my best to do this. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite woman from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had, this is not a typo, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. And unfortunately, we, we come to the demise, the tragic end of King Solomon's life here. He's had encounters with God. He's received warnings from God, but yet he has pursued women that have taken away his heart from God. Make sure you understand the issue wasn't the foreign women that he associated with them. It was the fact that they were pulling his heart away from God. They were pulling him to worship other gods. It says abominations. These weren't things that were just different from God, Yahweh. No, they were directly against in violation of the commands of our God. You might say, well, Matt, what does this, what is all these things that Solomon is doing? How does that really have to do with self-control? Because as I read this, I realized... When people make mistakes like this and they do stupid things, we say, how could you do that dumb thing? How could you be so foolish? Where were your brains in that moment? But we know that Solomon has brains. He's literally the wisest man who's ever lived. The Bible says there's never anyone before him that was wiser, never anyone beyond after him that would be wiser. Than he is the wisest man that's ever lived, and yet he couldn't do this, not because he didn't have wisdom, but because he didn't have self-control. Self-control. You can have all the wisdom. You know, have you heard of street smart and, and book smart, right? Solomon had the book smart, or he had the street smart. I don't know which one he had, he didn't have. But he did not have self-control. When you lack obedience and you lack vision, you have a lack of self-control. Solomon refused to see beyond his situation. He said, I've got a thousand women. I've got a thousand. But yet he could not be content with what God had given him. And remember, it started all the way in the beginning. When he had a political marriage with Pharaoh's daughter that started it. He couldn't be content with finding a woman. You think God didn't have a woman plan for him that would have been a godly wife to him? God had a plan for him. He chose his own plan. And our third and last point, a lack of contentment leads to a lack of self-control. 
You lose control when you lose being content. If you're content in your situation, it will increase your self-control. You say, I don't need to look around. I'm content. I don't need to get upset. I don't need to start yelling. I'm content with the situation. I don't need to eat more. I don't need to spend more. I'm content with what I have. When you lose being content, you lose your control. The beginning, we looked at 2 Peter. I want to go back to that scripture as we get ready to close here in a minute. Read verses 10 and 11. It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, they will, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says, if you practice these qualities, remember the qualities, self-control, steadfastness, brotherly affection. If you practice self-control, Peter says you will never fall. You can't fall when you're in control of your emotions. You can't fall when you're in control of the temptations that come against you. When you bind those and don't allow them to have authority in you, you're, you can't fall down because you're content with what God has placed in front of you. Worship team, you can come join me. Controlling yourself, restraining yourself, taking charge over yourself. We all experience multiple opportunities each day to exert self-control or to give in. Do I I give in to the anger or do I choose self-control? Notice I didn't say get angry, but the actions that that take place because we're angry. Do I choose to lust or do I choose self-control? Do I choose to spend that money or do I choose self-control? Do I I choose to watch another movie or do I choose self-control? And notice all those things I said, not all of them are sins. It's not wrong to watch another movie unless God has told you that that time he wants to spend with you. Am I allowing my money or my phone or my desires to control me or am I in control of them? Self-control is having vision, it's having obedience, it's being content. If you're struggling with self-control, I would encourage you to look at one of these three aspects and see, okay, when I struggle, maybe I need to take a moment and remind myself that what happens right here will affect my future. Maybe you need to take a moment when you're struggling with self-control and say, God is with me in this moment. I need to be obedient to him and not what I wanna do. Maybe in that moment of self-control, you say that I, I, need to, I need to be content with what God has given me. I don't, need, I don't need more than what God's given me. I'm content with what he's already placed in my life. Maybe, maybe you're struggling to control yourself because you aren't being content with what you have. You want to raise your voice and lose your temper because you're not content with your work status, you're not content in your marriage, you're not content in your family. If you increase contentment, 
you might inc increase self-control. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? I want to share one more, one more scripture with you from Proverbs on self-control. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Some versions of that scripture, instead of saying ruling your spirit, it says self-control. It says he who has self-control is better than he who takes a city. Meaning having control over your flesh is of greater significance than conquering someone else. Having control over your urges, being able to dominate the, the, the will inside you, the, the fleshly nature, being able to dominate that is better than taking an entire city. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity. I don't want to just pray and say, God bless you, have a great day. I want to give you a moment because these are difficult things to work through. Self-control takes building up. It takes strength. It's a fruit. It's not a gift of the Spirit. A fruit means it takes time to grow and cultivate in your life. So this morning before we close, we're going to sing one song. And if you're here today and you say, Matt, I need this. I need to be better at my self-control. First of all, you are not alone. There are a lot of people here, myself included, that we struggle with self-control. We need God's help to give us an increase in self-control in our lives. I want to ask a difficult thing of you. I want to pray with you. Sometimes I feel like this area up here, it, it gets uncomfortable. What if someone sees me? What will they think about me? Here are three things I want you to, to think. When you see someone move to the front, say, oh, that's a person right there that is investing in their relationship with God. Say, oh, that's a person right there that is brave enough to say, I need support, I need encouragement, I need partnership in prayer. That's a person right there. Their spirit is alive and they are receiving and they're responding to the word of God for their life. That's what this is down here. I don't know if you grew up in church or not, but that's, that's the stigma that sometimes happens here. Like, oh, well, we know so-and-so. He always gets upset when the Browns lose. He loses self-control and struggles. This is a place where people become healthier. They grow as the person, the man, the woman that God has called them to be. So the worship team is going to lead us in a song. I'm going to be down here. If you want prayer, come on up towards me. If you just want to make your way to the front and worship God and focus on him and get past the distractions around you, you do that. Can we take a moment to grow in our walk with God before we leave here this morning? Let's worship. Thank you for listening to today's message. The gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.